Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, welcome to Center Street Church. We're getting close to that uh, time when the holidays are over. What a great August it has been for uh, weather. Super holiday time. Pastor Henry will be back with us next weekend. We're going to resume that uh, great Sermon on the Mount teaching from Jesus which is called, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. And we begin our time together this weekend in God's Word by looking at three radical words that change everything. These three explosive words are embedded in a passage of Scripture which helps us understand who Jesus Christ is. And we're going to read it together. So would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to see the Scripture on the screen. Let's read together. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Let's pray. In this time that we have together, Lord, would you energize us by your Spirit to understand very clearly who you are and how you want us to live and what you have done for us and in us so that we can live that way that will glorify you and please you and bring great satisfaction to our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So two weeks ago, my wife Joy and I, we were in Victoria and for a little holiday time, and we watched an amazing concert by the uh, Victoria Symphony right down at the harbor front by that famous Empress Hotel. Some of you have been there. And for the concert's traditional finale, a band of Scottish pipers and drummers played Amazing Grace. And when the concert ended, the pipers and drummers, they began smartly marching up Government Avenue in front of the Empress Hotel, four abreast, with the bagpipes wailing and the drums beating and hundreds of spectators walking alongside them in this great swirl of Scottish music. It was a real summer highlight. Now, what do you think those Scottish pipers and drummers were wearing? Summer shorts? Ball caps? (laughs) T-shirts? No. You see, they were dressed in the finest Scottish kilts and tartans because every human group, they all have defining characteristics, don't they? Here's my question this weekend. What is the distinguishing characteristic, the defining reality that should mark someone as a Christian? Do you know that the early followers of Jesus, before they were called Christians, were actually marked with a different and a most interesting label? Here's what the early Christians were first called, followers of the way. In Acts 9, we read that the young Pharisee, Saul, was traveling to Damascus to persecute Christians so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, he might take them as prisoners. And then he does a 380, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. Years later, he's arrested. He stands before the Roman governor, Felix, and here's what he said. I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. Something was so different about these early disciples of Jesus that everywhere they went, Damascus, Ephesus, Rome, didn't matter, something radically new was happening. And people simply called it the way. And what a remarkably diverse group these followers of the way were. Matthew, the hated Jewish tax collector. Luke, the Gentile physician. Peter, the rough around the edges fisherman. Priscilla and Aquila, business people in Corinth. The high status Joanna, wife of Susa, who was manager of King Herod's household. And the esteemed Erastus, the director of public works for the city of Rome. And Onesimus, the slave. And the young Mark. And the wealthy Joseph of Arimathea. Even some, it says, who lived in Caesar's household. They're all called followers of the way. My goodness. 
What is happening? It looked like anyone could become a follower of the way. What was going on? But if we study the Bible closely, we discover there was one common denominator that defined these people of the way. The New Testament tells us that after Jesus was crucified for the sins of humankind, was buried and rose from the dead, he first appeared to Mary, then he appeared to two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and then he appeared to Peter, and then Jesus appeared to his small group of disciples minus Thomas. And when the disciples next saw Thomas, not surprisingly, they said to him, we've seen the Lord. And not surprisingly, Thomas responded, maybe just like some of us would. He said, unless I see the nail marks in Jesus' hands and put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side where the spear went into Jesus, I will not believe. Then John goes on to tell us that a week later, all of the disciples, including Thomas, are together, and suddenly Jesus appears right in front of them. He looks straight at Thomas, and he says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas is overwhelmed. I mean, no doubt he's momentarily stunned. And then it hits him. You see, Thomas knew Jesus was dead. Savagely beaten, nailed to a cross, buried in a tomb, guarded by Roman soldiers, but he's right here in front of me. I can see him. I can touch him. I can hear him. And for Thomas, the light goes on. Jesus is alive. It's his aha moment. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And there you have it. This is the first marker for the people of the way. This was the first defining reality for any follower of the way. Jesus is Lord. People had heard Jesus and they knew he had been a great teacher. And people knew he had been a remarkable prophet. Some even thought he was Elijah come back from the dead. And everyone knew he had been an amazing miracle worker. I mean, that's why people followed him by the thousands. But now with the risen, breathing Jesus standing right in front of them, it hits them like a thunderbolt. The most stunning thing that could ever happen has just happened. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. He conquered death. He must be God in the flesh. Jesus is Lord. Mark it carefully, friends. These three words, Jesus is Lord, they are the first defining reality for people of the way. These three words have always been the first marker that defines an authentic follower of Jesus. Radical, explosive, revolutionary words, these three words that have been changing human history for over 2,000 years. What do these three words mean? Listen carefully. To declare with conviction that Jesus is Lord means you are saying, Jesus, you are the one and only Son of God. Just like Jesus' Father said, To the crowd, when Jesus was being baptized, this is my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased, he said to Jesus. And to declare with conviction that Jesus is Lord means you are saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Just like Peter had spoken, when in response to Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus, you are the one that the Old Testament prophets said would come. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is bringing God's kingdom here on earth. And to declare with conviction that Jesus is Lord means, Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And because you rose from the dead, You have proved yourself to be master over life and over death. You are, as the early Christians would later write, 
the image of the invisible God, the radiance of God's glory, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the one and only divine King. And just like Thomas, you too say, my Lord and my God. And because Jesus is Lord, these early followers of the way instinctively knew, I must worship Jesus. I must love and obey Jesus. I must follow and serve Jesus because Jesus is Lord. When these followers of the way said that Jesus was Lord, they were serious. Story's been handed down to us over the generations of a first century Christian in the Roman Empire where the ruling Caesar had issued an edict that all the subjects of the empire were to greet each other with the salutation, Caesar is Lord. A Christian man was walking near Rome and he was met by two soldiers, Roman soldiers, who greeted him with Caesar is Lord. The man looked away trying to pretend that he hadn't heard the soldiers weren't about to be put off. They demanded he greet them with Caesar is Lord. He shook his head, I cannot. Jesus is Lord. The soldiers arrested him together with his wife and children. The authorities took him to the Colosseum where he was warned, unless you confess Jesus as Lord, you and your family will be thrown to the lions. With tears streaming down his face, the father sobbed, I cannot. Jesus is Lord. The officials ordered first one and then another of his children to be thrown to the lions. By now they were horrified and told the man, just say the words. It doesn't matter if you don't mean them. Just say them and save the rest of your family. The entire family perished that day, for the man whispered, I cannot. Jesus is Lord. Because as Paul wrote, for the people of the way, there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ. And that this same Lord is Lord of all. And now you know the first defining characteristic of people of the way. And my question for you this weekend is this. Are you a follower of the way? Can you say with conviction, do you say with conviction, these three most important words, Jesus is Lord. These days there are many spiritual gurus you can follow many options on the smorgasbord of spirituality. But choose carefully, for there is only one Lord. Paul said it this way, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many, in quotes, gods, he writes, and many, in quotes, lords, yet but for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Only Jesus is Lord. But there was a second defining characteristic of the people of the way. It was not only this conviction that Jesus is Lord that was so radical. It was also how they lived that was so revolutionary. You see, when people of the way got together, centuries-long barriers just seemed to melt away and disappear. Jews and Gentiles were actually worshiping together. This was unheard of. And for people of the way, it was no longer about status or class or gender differences. For slaves and rich, government officials and fishermen, men and women, they're all worshiping together. This was not normal. And when people of the way got together, a culture of amazing generosity and sharing developed, so much so that the book of Acts says, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need, there was no needy person among them. Wow. And people of the way turned their back on the common Roman practice of infanticide through exposure of babies or by abortion. And they started protecting the weak and the vulnerable. A counterculture way of life was being birthed among these people. And when the devastating plagues would later go through the Roman cities and 
People were dying everywhere. The ruling classes were running out of the cities as fast as they could to get away from the disease and death. These followers of the way were actually going into the cities to minister to the infected, knowing that their own lives would be at risk. An amazing culture of compassion was taking root everywhere. And who would have thought it? (laughs) They were actually forgiving their enemies. Like Stephen, the first martyr for Christ, when they're stoning him, what does he say? He cries out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And even though people made fun of them, followers of the way practiced sexual purity and sobriety, unlike the pagans around them. And those who watched them couldn't help but notice that they seemed to be continually filled with joy. And these followers of the way, they broke with accepted practices of superstition. It says, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. This was new. And even though it would take centuries, these followers of the way would eventually rise up and lead the charge to abolish slavery in the Western world. A culture of justice would start winning the day. The Apostle Paul described what was happening among these people of the way with these words. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And so, wherever these words, Jesus is Lord, were spoken with conviction, a new way of living was being birthed. Forgiveness was replacing hate, and joyful worship was taking the place of stifling religious rules. Generosity was overtaking greed, and purity was winning out over immorality and compassion, was replacing judgmentalism, and self-sacrifice was winning out over fear. Truth-telling was shattering dishonesty, and justice was replacing brutality. Humility was starting to win out over pride, and hospitality was shattering barriers everywhere. An ethic of selfless service seemed to be on the march. It was a culture of love. What an amazing way to live. What a fragrant life. No wonder it says in the book of Acts that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And isn't that the kind of life that you and I would instinctively like to live and that we wished for everyone else as well? But wait. This all sounds remarkably familiar. Haven't we seen this kind of life before? Wasn't this the kind of life that Jesus taught about and that he lived? Didn't Jesus say, love your enemies and blessed are the peacemakers? Didn't Jesus touch the lepers with compassion and hang out with the marginalized tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes? Didn't he say that he came to serve and to give his life away? And that friends should now lay down their lives for one another? Didn't he break down barriers and welcome women and Gentiles and the despised Samaritans to follow him? Didn't he say, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And now, remarkably, this same Jesus culture was somehow being lived out in these people of the way. Everywhere they went, this Jesus way of living just seemed to spill out from them. You couldn't really call it a religious program. It wasn't a top-down agenda that was being dictated by someone. It just seemed to happen. Well, almost intuitively. It was as if the Spirit of Jesus was actually living out His life in these people of the way. It was as if Jesus was actually doing life arm in arm with these people. What a thought. Could that actually be true? Could Jesus have actually been living out his divine life, his Jesus life in them? Listen, 
on the basis of God's word, I tell you that that is exactly what was happening. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus told his disciples that he would do. Before he had been crucified, Jesus had said to them, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in his great prayer to his Father in heaven, Jesus said, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, I in them, and you in me. I want to be in them, Jesus said. And then after his resurrection, he told them, I'm going to send you what my Father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Because as Jesus had said earlier, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything, Jesus said. You can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing, so I will come to you and help you live for me and serve me. I will clothe you with power from on high. And then it happened, just like he said it would. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And here you have it. This is the second defining characteristic of followers of the way. Followers of the way were people of the Spirit. First, they had this unshakable conviction, Jesus is Lord. They did just what Peter said they should do, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And then exactly because they believed Jesus was Lord, and because they had set him apart in their hearts as Lord, which means they had declared their devotion and their allegiance to him, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. When you read the New Testament with eyes wide open, you can't miss it. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It was the dynamic of the Spirit that changed everything for the people of the way. And here's why. When the Holy Spirit came and filled them, it was the Lord, Christ himself, who was coming to them, just like he said he would, and filling them with his very life, the life of God. For the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Look at these verses. Now it is God who has put his Spirit in our hearts. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and we are being transformed into his likeness, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And so to the Galatians, Paul says these wonderful words. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Here is the key to everything, friends. Christ living in you by His Spirit. Because if the Spirit of God's Son lives in our hearts, Christ is dwelling in us. Paul called it the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So listen carefully. If you have repented, turned away from your old life, in other words, confessed your sin, believed in your heart that God has raised Christ from the dead, and you have declared your allegiance to Christ as Lord, you've invited him into your life to be your Lord and your master, then you are a, a person of the Spirit because the Spirit of Christ has come to dwell in you. Here's what the Bible says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That means us. And now it gets really interesting. Because if the Christ by His Spirit has come to live 
in you, then the fullness of God actually lives in you because Christ is the Lord, the fullness of God, and He lives in you. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. And if Christ has come to live in you by the Holy Spirit, and if that means the fullness of God has to come to live in you, because Christ is God, is it any wonder then that Peter would write these incredible words about Christ and about you? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. I hope you appreciate just how absolutely stunning and radical and life-changing this is. The Spirit of Jesus living in you, uniting His Spirit with your spirit, enabling you to live out His life arm-in-arm with you. And that's exactly what was happening with these people of the way. They were people of the Spirit, inhabited by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, instructed by the Spirit, comforted by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. To be a person of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, this is the second defining characteristic of anyone who is a true follower of the way. Their lives bear fruit for Christ because the Spirit of Jesus is producing fruit in them. And here's what really excites me. When you read the New Testament, you can't miss it. These people of the way, these people of the Spirit, they are just common, average folks like you and me. Men and women, fishermen and doctors, slaves and bureaucrats, single and married, young and old, wealthy and impoverished, they're all people of the Spirit. And for them, Christian faith, it wasn't about religious rules or about denominations or about rituals or special clothing or magnificent buildings. It was about none of that. It was about a dynamic, living, powerful, resurrected Jesus Christ, the Lord, living in them, inspiring and empowering them by His Holy Spirit. And so we read, they were filled with the Spirit. Friends, in the Christian life, everything rises and falls on whether or not you and I are people of the Spirit. Have you ever asked yourself, why does the Lord Jesus actually want to come and live in us by His Spirit? Why does Jesus want us to be filled with God's Spirit? God fills people with His Holy Spirit because Jesus wants to have a love relationship with us. Now, we know that Jesus loves us because He died for us, right? But more than that, He actually wants us to experience His love for us. It's one thing for me to write a letter to my wife and tell her that I love her, and I've written lots of those letters over the years, it's another thing for her to actually live in love with me and experience my love. Because Jesus loves us, He naturally wants to connect with us. He wants to share His life with us. He wants something more than a long-distance relationship. He wants something deeper, far deeper than a Facebook relationship. He wants to actually live in us upfront, close, personal, intimate, His Spirit with our spirit. In one of His great prayers, Jesus said, Father, just as You are in me and I am in You, may they also be in us, I in them and You in me, so that the love You have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. John writes, this is how we know that He lives in us, we know it by the Spirit He gave us. And Paul says these wonderful words. God has poured His love into our hearts 
by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. What better relationship could there be than that? God pouring his love into us. Jesus pouring his love into us by the Holy Spirit. And one of the side benefits of experiencing his love in our spirits is that we can confidently know that we are God's children. He doesn't want us to live with uncertainty about whether or not we are his. He wants us to know for sure that he's adopted us into his family, that we are children of God. And so the Spirit settles that for us. Paul writes these wonderful words. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God's Spirit dwells in his followers of the way so that we can experience a love relationship with Christ. And then God fills us with his Holy Spirit because Jesus wants to help us live a life of victory over sin. If anything is true about you and me and the person sitting beside you, it's this. We all sin. In fact, the Bible says we're born with a sin nature. The reality is all of us are born into this human condition with the ball and chain of sin being dragged around by us. And the disease of death follows. If you can believe this, I just heard of a doctor who falsely said a number of his patients had cancer and proceeded to actually give them cancer treatments so he could scam the government and fraudulently get millions in Medicare payments. We just need to be honest with ourselves. The human condition, it's not a pretty picture. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. It says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But here's the good news. God wants to replace our old self-centered, sinful nature with his new life. Many centuries ago, he prophesied this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to keep my laws and my decrees. When we accept Christ as Lord, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The old sinful life recedes. The old sinful nature drops away in terms of its power over us. And the new life of Christ begins to take shape in us as his nature begins to control us. How is this possible? Through the Spirit. First Paul writes, The law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Our old sinful nature shackles us, doesn't it? With selfish attitudes and fears and immorality and sorrows and addictions. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we experience freedom. The chains fall off. We become free. Free to serve. Free to love. Free to forgive. Free to resist evil. Free to share generously. Free to stand for Christ in the face of persecution. Free from the fear of death. Listen to Paul. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Some years ago, I was golfing with my son. We were continually slicing the ball over the edge of the fairway. Anybody identify? In fact, on the seventh hole, my son sliced the ball so bad that it curved over the rough, over the fence, over the ditch, and wouldn't you know it, there was a car driving down the road alongside the ditch. And the golf ball 
nailed the middle of the windshield and smashed it. This was not our best golfing day. If only somehow the spirit of Phil Mickelson could get inside us and straighten out our drives. You know that sinful nature that we're all born with? It can really mess up our lives. It does. Metaphorically, many of us are hitting windshields with our lives in this world. But Christ, by His Spirit, comes to live in us and gives us His nature and His power so that our lives can be straightened out and we can overcome the sin tendency within all of us. Because above all, God wants us to have life and peace. In fact, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And stop hitting windshields with your life. How does that happen? It happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. What better outcome could there be in this world than to experience victory over sin and life and peace? And then God fills us with His Holy Spirit because Jesus wants to help us in our weaknesses. I don't know about you, but sometimes I really do feel very weak and very helpless. I need help to persevere in difficult moments. I need help to resist temptation, to forgive people who hurt me. I need help to overcome that tendency that gravitates within me towards materialism and towards selfish individualism. And I need help when I'm drowning in sorrow. I, I just seem to have that come into my life sometimes. And I need help when I'm sick. And so Paul says, here's the good news. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Do you know that the word that Jesus used to describe the Spirit that He would send from the Father is the Greek word parakletos. It's a word that means one who comes alongside. By His Spirit, Jesus is the one who has come alongside us to help us in our weaknesses. Here's a picture of that. Some years ago, Joy and I were houseboating on the Shushwap. Maybe some of you have done that. And the steering pin actually broke on the houseboat. So we just started going round and round in the big Shushwap lake, right? And, and then the wind picked up, started slowly pushing us towards the rocky shore. Now we're in trouble. We're going to wreck on the rocks. We're going to capsize. We need help. We needed someone to come alongside us and help us in our weakness. And so I started yelling across the lake to the other houseboats. And all of a sudden, one of them turned toward us and started coming towards us. It was the largest houseboat I had ever seen. And it drew alongside us. The captain threw his ropes over to us, tied us up to him. And side by side, we sailed safely into shore. This is what Jesus does for us by His Spirit dwelling in us. He comes alongside us and helps us in our weaknesses as we yield to the Spirit. Finally, God fills us with His Spirit because Jesus wants us to be transformed into His likeness. From the very beginning, God's story has always been that He would write us into his story. And his grand story is that we would become like Christ and live like he did. Paul wrote, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and we are being transformed into his likeness, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Christian life, you see, is all about transformation. Transformation into the likeness of Christ. And if we are living in the likeness of Christ, then we are imitators of Christ. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and that's what he called them, imitators of the Lord. What a great description. What does it look like each day 
when we are filled with the Spirit, when we're transformed into Christ's likeness, and the Jesus culture starts to just naturally spill out from our lives. Well, first, as imitators of Christ who are filled with the Spirit, we live a life of love just like Jesus did for the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's impossible to live in the Spirit as an imitator of Christ and not live a life of love. If you are filled with the Spirit, it's easy to tell because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And this is the likeness of Jesus being born in you. Second, as imitators of Christ who are filled with the Spirit, we are people of joy, just like Jesus was. Luke described Jesus this way. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Did you notice? Jesus, joy, and the Holy Spirit going together. This is exactly what the Spirit produces in the followers of the way. It says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're a person of joy. And third, the Spirit empowers us to live on mission as servants for Jesus, just like Jesus lived on mission, doing His Father's will. That's what the likeness of Jesus looks like in us. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you to be on mission. What could be clearer than this? And so to live on mission, to have the likeness of Jesus manifest in us, well, we're advancing His kingdom of God agenda here on earth. And what does that look like? He said His kingdom was a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit again. So how does the Spirit work in us to advance this kingdom of God agenda that Jesus has for us? Well, first He empowers us to speak up for Jesus. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be my witnesses. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we speak up and share the good news of Christ's life for us and for others as the Spirit gives us opportunity. And then second, Jesus said He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so if we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ, our growing passion will be to serve Jesus and His interests. And that's exactly why He has given us the Holy Spirit, to help us serve the kingdom purposes of Jesus. Paul writes, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Now to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if we are people who declare with conviction Jesus is Lord and His Spirit has come to dwell in us, the Holy Spirit has given us gifts for service. And if we are filled with the Spirit, the likeness of Jesus spills out of us as we choose to serve other people. It is impossible to live in the Spirit as a disciple of Jesus and not serve Him in some way. And when we serve as people of the Spirit, Jesus said something very special would happen. Listen to this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. It is the Spirit of God living in us that produces these streams of living water that flow out from us to other people. Let me close by giving you two examples of what that looked like. Just two examples. It says in the book of Acts, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch the drift? Because Ananias was a disciple, a follower of the way. For him, Jesus was Lord, and Jesus had an assignment for him. Ananias discerned, because he was filled with the Spirit of God, that God was giving him an assignment. And because Jesus was Lord, he says, yes, Lord. Because that's what followers of the way do who are filled with the Spirit. The assignment was what? To speak up for Jesus. And Ananias, the disciple, was what? He was obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He went. He spoke up for Jesus. And rivers of living water spilled out of him to the Apostle Paul. And then what happens with Paul's life? Well, you just read the New Testament. Rivers of living water spilled out of him to the entire Roman Empire. In the next chapter of the book of Acts, it says, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, who was always doing good and helping the poor. The assignment that God gave Tabitha was to show compassion to people in need. And you read the rest of that little segment on Tabitha in the book of Acts, rivers of living water spilled out of her. There was a disciple, a follower of the way, named Ananias. He served Jesus, the Lord, by speaking up for Jesus. There was a disciple, a follower of the way, named Tabitha. She served Jesus the Lord by showing compassion to others. What about you? Are you a follower of the way? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Are you a person of the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit of Christ? In Center Street Church, there was a disciple named... Just put your name in there. And she served Jesus, and rivers of living water spilled out from her life. Is that true of you? Are you listening for the voice of the Spirit giving you assignments to serve Jesus? Are streams of living water flowing out from you? You know, I suspect for most of us, this is already the case. This is what is happening in our lives. Because we've come to declare that Jesus is Lord. And our allegiance and our devotion is to Him. And He has given us, therefore, His Holy Spirit. And we are yielding ourselves to His Spirit. We are experiencing the likeness of Christ being lived out in us. And we are serving Christ and serving others. And streams of living water are spilling out from us to other people. By God's grace, may that be true for each one of us here at Center Street. May it be that each one of us can declare with conviction, Jesus is Lord. May it be that each one of us will be known as people of the Spirit. May it be that Jesus will know each one of us as a follower of the way. Will you stand with me? And we're going to close together in a moment of prayer. But I'm going to ask you a very personal, important question before we pray. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord? Can you declare and do you declare with conviction that Jesus is Lord? If you have never done that, if you have never come to the place where you have bowed your knee before Jesus and said, now I understand Jesus, you are the Lord. I want to follow you. I want to show my allegiance and devotion to you. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to come into my life and fill me with your spirit. I want to experience that amazing, fragrant life that the Word of God talks about. I want streams of living water to flow out from me. If you have never come to that place where you have declared Jesus as Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer a prayer of declaring devotion and allegiance to Jesus Christ as your Lord. And when you pray this prayer, 
if you mean it seriously, the Spirit of Jesus Christ will come in to you. And you can begin the journey of becoming a follower of the way and experiencing this amazing life of the Spirit. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me in this sacred moment? If you want to pray and invite Jesus into your life to be your Lord, then would you just pray this prayer quietly where you are? You don't need to have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your spirit to Christ. Just pray these words with sincerity. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sin. I turn away from it. Come into my life, Lord. Be my leader. Give me your Holy Spirit. Help me to live for you as a follower of your way all the days of my life. I give my life to you now as my Lord. Amen. I just want to say, if you prayed that prayer, it's the most important prayer you could ever pray because Jesus is Lord. And if you prayed that prayer, you need to tell someone. Come on down here to the front. There will be people here who are willing to pray with people and just tell them that you prayed. Uh, There's a little card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill it out. There's a little check box there, and you can just tick that there, and uh, that will signify that you prayed to invite Jesus to be your Lord. And you can take it to the information booth, and that way we can get in touch with you and help you on your journey of being a follower of the way. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father who sent the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who brings to us the Lord Jesus Christ rest and abide on each one of us until we see each other again or until we see each other in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 